Uh, You've been in this sort of a situation before, I gather, when the boss is inaccessible. Uh, For whatever reason, you need help. Uh, You need help, but the the phone just rings out when you call, and you ring again, and it rings out. uh, or, Or you leave a message, and there's no returned call. You just cannot get a hold of him or or her. And we know, don't we, from a management point of view, that's not always a bad thing. Some employees are just a little bit too quick to make the phone call, uh, too quick to ask for help. Instead of carefully thinking through a problem, working on it on our own, I'll just call the boss. Uh, And so some bosses... Uh, make themselves a little difficult to get a hold of deliberately, uh, building independence in the workplace is, uh, depending on the role, not necessarily a bad thing. And we do this as parents with children as well at times. Uh, I had a boss like this. I've had a few of them. You make the call, no response. Brett Beeler never answered the phone. Uh, you make the call, no response. Uh, and soon enough, you learn to figure it out on your own. The Christian life is the exact opposite of that, isn't it? Independence is never the way. I I loved, we had that prayer meeting this morning uh, here at 9am, and Phil prayed uh, that we would grow in our dependence upon God. And that's what prayer is, isn't it? An expression of our dependence upon him. Now, last week, if you were here, you may recall, we we were reminded from chapter 3 and 4 of Hebrews, uh, reminded of that daily danger uh, of hardening our hearts to God's word. It was the second warning uh, in this book of Hebrews and repeated and repeated those words originally in Psalm 95. Uh, today, and it's always today, isn't it? Present continuous. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Uh, as we seek to live for Jesus while awaiting for, for his return, every newborn Christian has a tendency to, to drift, to drift from Jesus to, to some other thing. Now, I don't know how you felt after we looked at that passage last week, if you were here. But I suppose you, like me, would have noticed your inclination to harden yourself to God's word. It is not always easy to trust and obey. We need help. When temptation comes, we need help. In everyday life, we need help. And we noticed last week uh, from chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, that it's a community activity, uh, that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to encourage one another daily, present, continuous, as long as it's called today, that none of us might be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The Christian life is not to be lived independent of each other, brothers and sisters, but nor is it to be lived, I know this sounds ludicrous that we could even do it, but nor is it to be lived independent of God. And so when trouble comes, when the temptation is, is so strong, it's not try harder, grit your teeth, figure it out on your own. When hardening the heart is the temptation, we need help. 
And I think help is the subject of these verses in Hebrews we're looking at this afternoon. And we're going to go with two points from this talk. In Jesus, our, our merciful high priest, we have a willing helper. Uh, if your Bible's there, look with me at verse 14 and 15. I'll read. Uh, Therefore, we read, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. I reckon in some sense those two verses form a summary of of what our author has already said in Hebrews. We have this continual reference, have you noticed, to to the divinity of Jesus and continual reference to the humanity of Jesus. Where is Jesus now, someone asks as you're sharing your faith with them. Well, he he came as a man and, and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, he rose again and he ascended into heaven. Back in chapter 1, verse 3, we read, Having provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty in heaven. This is the eternal Son of God that we're talking about. Yet he also became human. Not an animal or an angel, but a human that he could be our representative. And being human, he was tempted... In every way, just as we are. And the temptation on view, I put it to you here, is the daily danger of hardening our hearts to God's word. And so your weakness in this area, Jesus gets it. And my weakness in this area, Jesus gets it. He lived it, yet unlike us, he was without sin. And we might push back and say, well, Jesus didn't live during the age of the internet. And so he couldn't understand my struggle with the temptations that that go with everything online. And he wasn't a married man. Uh, And he he didn't have to live through the temptation and grief that's brought through the death of a, a life partner, someone you've been married to for many years. That's true. But you want to find someone who knows about torture, for example. You don't go to the person who blurts out the information as soon as they're asked. You go to the person who resists and resists and resists and resists while tortured, despite the building pain and difficulty. I put it to you that it's like this when it comes to Jesus and temptation. It may be that you and I actually don't know much of what temptation is, for we're so quick to give in to it. But Jesus didn't ever give in. And we picture him in the desert being tempted by the the devil, hungry, (laughs) starving, he didn't give in. Or or in the garden as he he was facing the, the cross, Tempted to avoid the pain of of dying in our place, yet he didn't give in. He knows. 
He knows how hard it can be to hang in there with God, living God's way when everything in us says, my way's better. Jesus can empathise with us when we face the temptation of hardening our hearts to God's word. Jesus can empathise with us when it feels easier to disobey God, when it feels more natural to disobey God than obey him. I love this from John Calvin. He said, Christ chooses to subject himself to human weakness and struggle with it, not only to deliver us from sin, but so we can know that he is with us whenever we are tried by our weakness, the glorious son who became man, fully God, fully man. He knows our weakness and he cares. He's willing to help. That, that word empathy, we throw it around a lot now in our culture, don't we? We love empathy. Uh, you picture a mother who, who cares so profoundly for her child. She feels for that child. And we might say, come on, champ, a little bit of differentiation wouldn't go astray. But he feels for us, his people. And maybe the mother analogy doesn't work for you, but you get the idea. Jesus cares. He really does, and in him we have a willing helper. And so we have that uh, verse 16. It's a great memory verse, isn't it? Jen's got this printed on our, our wall at home at the moment. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And, you know, mercy is withholding the punishment that is due and grace is God's undeserved favour. And you think, so the habitual response of the believer I'm tempted to harden my heart. God, I don't want to do it your way. The habitual response is to cry out to God for help. Prayer, an expression of trust, I cry out to God for help and we receive mercy and grace. Dependence on God is always the way. Some of you have been watching the Olympics, I, I gather. Nods. Yep. Um, we saw uh, Australia win gold in the, the freestyle BMX today. Did anyone else see this? That was, that was amazing. Um, I, I saw this on Facebook this, this week. Anyone else see that one? Uh, surfing silver medalist, a, a South African, Bianca Butendag. I don't know how to say her name, but we'll go with that. Uh, she, she was able to share something of her faith. This is what she said. I, I want to acknowledge my heavenly father who has held my hand tightly through all these years, through the dark and scary. He's been my best friend, my closest companion. Ever since my first contest at, age, at eight years old, my last sentence before every heat has been, Father, I trust you. Have your way. It's a great prayer, isn't it? 
Father, I trust you. Have your way. A prayer not just for competition, but a prayer for all of life. Father, I trust you. Have your way. But as we struggle to trust, with our hearts inclined to harden, we cry out help. Help even when we don't really want it. In Jesus, we have a willing helper. Um, Apparently on the battlefield, it's common for a dying soldier to call out to their mum, uh, to cry out to mum for help. And that's touching, though obviously not going to do them any good. Mum's not there on the battlefield to help. Uh, And even if she was, what could she do? It is great to have a willing helper, but we also need an able helper. And in chapter 5, verse 1 to 10, we see that Jesus is an able helper. You see in those first five verses, our author takes us back to the Old Testament priestly system. And you remember that the Israelites, God's people of old, were saved out of slavery in Egypt to worship the Lord. But there's some real difficulty with a holy God living in relationship with a sinful people. The high priest was selected from among the people, we see in verse 1 of chapter 5. And their role was to represent the people to God, uh, to be a mediator, a go-between, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so I guess because we're so familiar with, it in our, with each other in our culture, uh, it's hard a bit to imagine, but people can't just go to God. We can't just go to him. He's holy. He's not accessible. But in the Old Testament, God graciously made way, made provision for some kind of relationship to, to go on. And you can read more about the Leviticus, the priestly system in Leviticus. We see here, though, in chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, because the priest was one of the people, he could deal gently with the drifters as he was subject to weakness, as any ordinary person like them is. He could empathise. The priest, though, would have to offer sacrifices for his sins as well as as the sins of the people, though. This is a holy God. You can't just go up to him. And so we picture a lot of blood, a lot of dying, and a very, very careful approach to this holy God. You cannot just go up to him. And we see in verse 4, there's no self-appointed priest. No one puts their hand up and says, I'm the priest who can mediate between us and this holy God, and this is how it's going to work. No, God establishes the person and the means. And we recall the pastoral problem of this book. It's addressed to people who are drifting away from Jesus, and specifically for them, drifting back to the old covenant. And so in verses 5 to 10, our author just shows us how Jesus is an able helper. More specifically, how he fulfills 
that whole priestly system. And if you're wondering why we don't have priests today, we do. We have one, Jesus. In verses 5 to 6, notice he was appointed by God, just as the priests of old were appointed by God. And Psalm 2 is quoted, You are my son, today I've become your father. And you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Psalm 110. And we're going to leave Melchizedek alone and we'll get to him in chapter 7. In verse 7, we see... Jesus' solidarity with the people, he can deal gently with us as he became like us. Verse 7 is striking, isn't it? We read, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And while Jesus died, his prayers were answered in the end, being raised from from death to life and even exalted to the Father's right hand. And while tempted as we are, unlike us, he was perfect. And so we read verse 8, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Which is not to say that he wasn't obedient before, but that he lived it out through all the painfulness and temptation. And so in Jesus, we have an obedient priest, the perfect sacrifice, who was appointed by God and knew temptation like us. So verse 9, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who believe. Now the priestly stuff will come up again in chapter 7. Uh, But for now, and I reckon really simply, in Jesus we have a willing and able helper. When we're struggling with the hardening of the heart, at times it can feel really difficult to hang in there with God, can't it? So tempted to just ditch his way. The temptation can just seem like too much. What do we do? We pray, God help me. Jesus is willing. Jesus is able. We run to him. For in the Christian life, independence is never the way. Now, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together now. uh, And it is another expression of dependence upon God. Uh, In Jesus, we have a way to relate to this holy God. We can confidently, boldly approach him in prayer, in relationship, because of the saving work of Jesus. So how about we pray together as, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Heavenly Father, We want to thank you that in Jesus we have a willing and able helper. Uh, Lord, as we reflect on uh, that temptation for us to harden our hearts, we reflect on the ways that we have given in to temptation. Lord, for this we are really sorry. Sorry. 
We're sorry for the ways that instead of pursuing obedience to you, we've gone with the easier option or the more selfish option. Uh, Lord, for this we're sorry. And we thank you that in Jesus, we don't have someone who's distant and disinterested, but someone who has struggled as we do. And so we thank you that our mediator is the eternal son, but also human like us. Lord, we pray that as we remember his death in our place, as we eat the bread and drink the juice, that you would remind us again of his sufficiency and that we would boldly approach you in our time of need. Be with us now, we pray. Amen.